Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And today we're finishing the final Twilight book, Breaking Dawn. We've already finished the story of the series. It's gone by super quickly. And as we like to tell you every week, we're a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. And this is the fourth book of the Twilight series, though, as we mentioned last week, we are doing one more week of Twilight next week. Yep. As best friends, we're sharing these books with each other, and we do that every week. It's a podcast now. Super fun. And we like to alternate between series that one of us has never read and one of us is reading for the second or maybe third time, or in Asia's case, bajillionth time for Twilight. And so after this, we can officially say that we both read Twilight because now I have read all four books. And we're just having so much fun sharing these books with each other. Yes, so next time we read Twilight as friends, we'll both already be Twilight alumni. And we are going to be covering Midnight Sun next week, which... Midnight Sun is definitely still a part of the Twilight Saga. It's just the first novel, Twilight, told from Edward's perspective. So it's really just going to help enrich our experience of the world and the story. But since we already know the story and the plot of Twilight, we're not going to spread it out over two weeks. So we'll just finish all of that in one episode. And today we're going to finish the plot of Breaking Dawn. And next week we'll do Midnight Sun. And then after that, we're starting our next series, and it'll be my turn to be the newbie to a series, and I'll be on summary duty. But for now, Charles still has that role. Yep, good old summary duty. And I found it really hard to write this summary because I was really into this reading. I did not want to stop and take notes, but anyway, obviously I did it. So this part three is told from Bella's perspective again. And Bella transforms into a vampire, and she quickly discovers that her vampire powers include not only a protective mind shield, but also an ability to sort of control her emotions, and thus she resists the thirst really well. So she kind of gets to skip over the newborn phase of being crazed. She actually gets to have her life exactly as it was, but now she's a vampire. And Renesmee is a true half-human, half-vampire, and her power is being able to break through shields, like Bella's, and she can also implant visions in people's minds, which she does with skin-to-skin contact. And then the Cullens seem to be having a perfect life, but Irina shows up, and she tells the Volturi that the Cullens have an immortal child, which is obviously forbidden, which we predicted last week, and they use it as an excuse to attack the Cullens because they really, really want Alice's power within their fold, and they wouldn't say no to Edward. And they don't know what Bella's power is yet, but they've also expressed that they, you know, they would like Bella too. So they just basically want all of these gifted vampires, and they need a pretense to attack, so they say the immortal child. The Cullens then convince a bunch of vampire and wolf friends to join them to witness that Renesmee is not a threat to the secrecy of vampires, And after quite a tense meeting, the Volturi do back off, and the Cullens get to just live a happy life. And I guess that includes Jacob and Renesmee now, but they get to live happily ever after together. And as always, I like to start with my first impression, which was, wow, I really, really need another book. Like maybe the Cullens a century later, I was just enthralled by the story i really breaking dawn i could not put it down and 
Also, I do need a slow clap because I guessed Bella's powers like a book or a half ago. I'm taking a bow over Zoom for this recording because I deserve a slow clap because I figured out what Bella's power was. Okay, anyway, I'm done. I've got my gratification. Asia, tell me about your impression of the reading. For my first impression of the reading, I definitely agree with you that I've kind of always wished, you know, that maybe Stephanie Meyer would revisit the story just to even like a small novella, like how he did with the Brie Tanner, like something to kind of see like an update, like you said, like a century later on how they're doing, like what's changed, just because it is kind of like they get their happily ever after and that's the end of the story. But like I said, this section of the reading is by far to me my the best section of the entire saga. Like, it's very interesting. Also, I mean, obviously, it's been building up to Bella eventually becoming a vampire. So you finally get to see that through. We have the addition of Renezme. And then also we get to really expand on the vampire world. We get to meet a whole bunch of, like, the Cullen's friends and all these different kinds of gifted vampires. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And even not if she did something specifically about the Cullens, but just another story about other vampires in the world would like be really interesting or like maybe about Benjamin, something like that. Like, I think that would be really cool to read. Yeah. Yeah. I, we would love that. It would just be really nice because I, I could keep going with these characters now that I don't want to kill half of them. So we start the reading with Bella's transformation Bella, sort of, she's able to stay alive because she's thinking of Edward and Jacob and Renezme. And it's super terrifying that the morphine locks Bella into semi-paralysis during the transformation. And she's like, I can't tell Edward how much pain I was in because he'll just be sad. But I gotta remind Carlisle, if we ever have to transform a vampire, do not use morphine. And, but the whole experience of Bella transforming, I was like, it kind of reminded me of being awakened in the Flamel series that we read. When Bella comes out, she's sort of disoriented by, like, how bright and powerful her senses are. That being said, in the Flamel series, you're still a human, so you can experience pain from the overwhelming senses. Whereas the vampires, they're overwhelmed, but they kind of just can, like, shrug it off. So definitely an easier transformation. Well, but they do have to suffer for, you know, like, the three days in writhing pain. But, yes, once they are transformed, it's a pretty easy transition. But in this part, we also find out that if it was a boy, it was going to be Edward Jacob. If Renesmee would have ended up being a boy, which we had kind of mentioned this before, I think. And I, she had just referred to the boy's name as EJ. And I told Charles that it was stood for Edward Jacob. And she's like, she didn't say that, but it was from this. I just didn't remember when and they said it. But which, like we said, that's not a very, <laughs> we don't like that name because we don't like Jacob, even though he does get a lot better in this section since he finally imprints on Renesmee and let's go of Bella as a love interest. But also as Charles predicted, she does really well adapting to be, being a vampire and she is able to resist the thirst really well. And she, they even have a whole encounter where on her first hunting trip, she catches a human scent and she's able to resist it, which especially to the other Cullens and particularly Jasper is just something that they've never seen before. So definitely very, very impressive. And so she's just skipping over all of those like vampire, like craziness and she's able to be herself. But I kind of disagree with you on her self-control being one of her gifts, which this is kind of discussed throughout this section in the novel. Like Edward kind of just thinks that it's just from 
her, she was really mentally prepared for this life since she made a conscious choice that she was going to become a vampire. So she was really well prepared. Whereas obviously, at least for the Cullens, they were all dying. They had no idea what vampires were. Like they were just thrown into this world. So I feel like that's a part of it. Also, Bella's like has such a high regard for human life. Like, and also I think when, after the hunting trip, when she comes back in and like Edward explains how like, oh, she resisted the human. Like I think Jasper even has to leave. And Edward says how it's kind of changed his whole thinking and this idea of, is it really that like this newborn is actual craziness or it's just like you've set yourself up for failure because you're assuming that that's what it is. So in my opinion, I think that it's not like a special gift of hers. I think it's just like a result of her circumstances that she was able to kind of mentally repair. And specifically, Belle is just someone who really cares for humans and is going right into a family that also cares for human life. But I think that's this is might just be one of those things that like Stephanie Meyer kind of just left up to the reader's interpretation because she never clearly states that it's one of her gifts. Hmm. Yeah, she doesn't state it. That's true. It's not, it's not like declared like, yes, Bella has this power. I kind of came down on the other end of it. I figured that it was part of her power. I figure it might not have to be a separate power than her shield. I figured it was kind of like part of it that she, the way she can sort of cast and like lock out certain emotions because it's not just the thirst that she can resist. She can like resist being angry too. And Anger is not a vampire-only emotion. It's a just a humanoid emotion. So the fact that, like, when she's attacking Seth, she can, like, turn it down. And when she gets frustrated with Emmett because he keeps making sexual jokes, she's able to, like, turn it off. Like, she's able to center herself. And that still could be because of her preparation because she knew that vampires are, like, newborns supposed to be crazy. And really strong. She talks all about that a lot. Like, she wants to be careful because she doesn't want to hurt anybody. But I figured that, like, her being able to temper her emotions is a power or part of her other power. But, again, I you're totally right. It's kind of left up to the reader. So, you know, we get to enjoy that and politely not disagree, but I think that, you know, it's very clear that Bella does have, cert, like, extensive control, which is really what matters. Because it also yeah. helps move the plot along. Because if Bella had to go through, like, newborn crazes we'd kind of be stuck for a while. So thank goodness we didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. And I mean, of course you bring up that moment where she and Edward are hunting and she resists the humans and Bella's like, but I growled at Edward. And I was like, Bella, you just transformed into a vampire. You didn't even hurt him. Like you growled at him. Come on. I don't know. I thought that was a little, little, we, we still have some Bella ridiculousness from her humanity. Well, she like she said, she's still the same person. Yeah, she is. But I thought it was kind of cute because if I turn into a vampire and, you know, you growl at your husband, like, it's like an instinctual thing as opposed to, like, because you didn't make a conscious choice to do that, I'd be a little embarrassed. I would be embarrassed too, but I don't think I would bring it up in front of the whole family later on because when Edward's telling the story and he's like, and she didn't attack the humans, and she's like, but wait, you're forgetting an important part. I growled at you. Bella doesn't like being the center of attention. And like we said, everyone's all the colons are super impressed with her self-control. So she's trying to like tone it down of like, well, I still growled at Edward. Like it's not I'm not that impressive. Also, that scene was great because at first they're mortified because Edward like tells the story in the wrong order. So they're like Esme's like I'm like Esme looks like she's going to be sick. And Carla's like, Edward, what on earth did you do? Like, how could you be so stupid? And then Edward's like, hmm, 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 hmm. 
She resisted. And then Bella's like, <laughs> but I grappled at him. It was I thought it was a cute moment. I, I don't think that I don't know if she says that in the movie. We'll have to see. I'm so excited for us to watch the movie. Me too. But then so they come back and Bella finally gets to re- meet Renezme, who is still growing like crazy. She's constantly getting bigger and bigger really quickly. And she shows Bella her powers and everyone calls Renesme Nessie, which it's clear that Jacob has come up with this nickname. And like throughout the scene, like the other Cullens are calling her Nessie. I just thought it was funny because there's like Bella, like the joke in the story, whatever. She's like, you named my daughter after the Loch Ness monster. Like, what did you think of that? That's like a meme of the Twilight story. So I didn't think it was a joke. I was just like, it was a bad nickname. I, I agree with Bella. It was a stupid nickname, but it's not a it's not a joke in the sense of the book, but I'm saying that line, those lines have become a joke like in pop in culture. In pop culture. Gotcha. Like like, like in Harry Potter. She's like, You named my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster. Like that is something that people like that's like a meme. Or like the Harry that's Potter why. when Hermione's like, Ron, just because you have the emotional range of a teaspoon. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I, that's what I meant by a joke. Like, yeah, it's become a joke in real life, but not in the story. Sure. It's not a joke. I mean, Nessie is a terrible nickname. It's a bad nickname for a Renesme. You could literally do Renee or Esme. <laughs> like, there are other names that you could have picked out, but, like, I don't know where he got Nessie from, but it's a stupid name. But whatever. Or at least, personally, I don't... I don't think it's a matching nickname for Renesme, but whatever. Yeah. And also, like, of course Belle's going to be mad. She picked out that name. Like, she wants the child to be named that. Like, yeah, whatever. She also is pretty mad that Jacob imprinted on her. And it takes some adjusting, too. But again, Bella has a certain level of control, be it a power or not. She's able to handle herself pretty well. And... Like, I wouldn't like very much if a wolf was now, like, a slave to my daughter and, like, therefore had to be around her 24-7. Because because she and Edward are conscientious and sympathetic to Jacob's, like, now, like, mental state. They, like, let him be around. And I would be pretty mad, too, if I just had, like, had my baby and then, like, this person is like, well, I have to be around for my, like, sanity. Because, of course, they're... Like a third parent. (laughs) Yeah, because, of course, they can't, like, deny... Jacob that that would be awful to him but like it's their baby yeah I it was it's a tough situation yeah and then we obviously have to mention their little house out in the woods yeah it really sounds like a fairy tale and at first I was like do all the other couples also get houses but of course they do because Emmett and Rose had a palace and (laughs) you know the Cullens have so much money so of course they have houses and yeah, and it's like we broke a bunch of houses too. So I was like, thank God everyone got, you know, houses. But before the vampire sex, Bella says they're finally equals. And I like mentioned that because I was so happy. I was really proud of Bella because so much of her, like, she's always wanted to be equals with Edward. And she's always been cognizant of the fact that if she's a human, they can't be. And I was really proud of her that she's like, this is one of the reasons I did this, that I could be equal with my partner. And I was like, what an awesome sentiment, Bella. I'm so proud of you. That's something that you've looked for the whole time and you got it and you get to now enjoy it. Like I was, I was really happy. Yes. But of course the good things can't last because soon after that, 
Jacob comes in and ruins everything. He tells Charlie to come over because he's worried that the Cullens are planning on moving away because obviously they're like Bella's going to disappear so they're going to have to move to the move on to the next place and obviously Jacob who's attached to Renesmee does not want them to leave so he figures he's going to solve it by bringing Charlie over since he's the main issue and this could obviously ruin everything because either Bella will be able to control her thirst but the entire time obviously she's going to be suffering being that close to a human or she won't and she'll kill her father which both are pretty bad but he didn't, Jacob says that he didn't realize that Bella would be in pain the whole time. And personally, I didn't have, I don't have an issue with this section, obviously, because I knew it was going to happen. So I wasn't, it didn't, that part didn't bother me. But I'm sure for you reading it for the first time, Charles, you were like, oh, I thought we, Jacob was getting better. And here we go again. Yeah, I rolled my eyes. It was, it's a tricky situation because I do understand where Jacob is coming from. And for once, like, he did, like, kind of act almost rationally, almost. Of course, how could he not know that Bella was going to be in pain? Like, you've been uh, hanging around vampires for a couple years now, Jacob, and you've been hanging around Bella, who also has, like, yeah, like, you're so dumb. Like, you're so dumb. And also, like, let Bella make that decision. Like, yes, she had the idea of sort of letting Charlie see her and make up his own mind, but she would let her decide when she's going to do that. And the Cullens have been so hospitable to you since you imprinted on Renesmee. So, like, give them the benefit of the doubt to be, like decent if they're gonna leave they'll tell you they'll either let you come or they won't like but they'll tell you either way they're not gonna just but like it's a such a bad like jacob being so stupid because now charlie is either gonna die because bella's gonna attack him or charlie's going to have to find out about the vampires in which case he either has to become a vampire himself or be killed by the volturi so like there is like, and Jacob should know all of this. So him being stupid, you know. And then, like, this is a little bit of plot convenience that Charlie is, like, way too hard-headed. He's like, yeah, um, as long as I don't know too much, it's fine. I just, like, just don't tell me everything and it's, you know, need-to-know basis. And I was like, yeah, no parent would ever talk like that. That was ridiculous. I think Charlie's character, that kind of fits with him, that he's kind of like, he doesn't want to know. Details also when... Jacob explains to him that the only way that he can keep Bella in his life is that if he doesn't know, and obviously Bella's the only person pretty much family Charlie has, so he'll, like, be okay with that. Like, you know, her parents are pretty, like, chill, I feel like. You know what I mean? I'm like, my parents wouldn't be down for that, but I feel like... Yeah, mine I mean, maybe my dad. I feel like my dad could be. Definitely not my mom. Uh, Yeah, neither of my parents uh, could (laughs) go for that. But also, like, um, let's just talk about Jacob breaking the treaty and, like, the treaty. Now that now that he's in Prendonomenesme, no one cares about the treaty anymore. But breaking, he phases in front of Charlie, so he breaks the treaty. So, you know, just thought that was a little bit of poetic irony that Jacob was like, the treaty, we have to kill Bella because, you know, she became a vampire, even though she wanted to. And then, what is what this my voice? Is today? <laughs> that was my Jacob and my Charlie voice. voice it's the same voice. Speak the same but now he phases in front of Charlie, so whatever. Again, for some plot convenience, Charlie is totally fine with it. And whatever. It works out because Charlie and the vampires and the wolves and Sue are all able to sort of coexist harmoniously. Basically, everyone knows everything except Charlie. But he has Sue, who does know everything because she's in the Council of the Wolves. She's able to sort of guide him, and they're starting to become, like, maybe a couple, which 
was super cute. But, like, Bella basically gets to have everything. Like, she gets to have her human family, her wolf family, and her vampire family. Yes. And then, again, as soon as it's all going well, it's over very quickly because Arena decides to go tell the Volturi that the Cullens have an immortal child because she saw Bella, Jacob, and Renesme hunting in the woods, and she assumed that Renesme was an immortal child, which means they are all going to be sentenced to death because, as we learned earlier in Breaking Dawn, the immortal children are a huge, huge no-no in the vampire world because they cannot be controlled. And then, right as this happens, Alice and Jasper leave the Cullens basically with just they give a note to Sam as they cross over into the wolf lands and basically are saying, make sure to gather as many witnesses as you can. Good luck. And they're gone. And so the Cullens, they need witnesses. Basically, they want to stop the Volturi from just killing them immediately to give them pause so that they can explain the situation. You know that Renesmee is not dangerous. She's learning. She's not an immortal child. And yeah, and then... Alice and Jasper leave, and they're just on their own, basically. Yeah. And I was sure they didn't defect. Like, maybe in the moment, if I was the Cullens, I would have been like, oh, my God, they did leave us. But as a reader, I was like, there's just no way that Alice and Jasper, like, have left for good for the reason of we don't think that we can survive. Like, that's not their personalities at all. So I... I get it that, of course, in the moment they're panicked. They're trying to figure out how they're going to, like, save Renesme, save the clan. But I was like, with a little bit of perspective, I would assume that Alice might have, like, a backup plan. But, like, it was it was immediately evident to me that Alice did not actually defect from the Cullens. But, again, I'll be proven right in a second. But the Cullens start to collect a bunch of witnesses. And Eleazar, who is now in the Denali clan but was a Volturi Guards member earlier... He sort of explains the situation that basically the Volturi love talented vampires. And in order to get more talented vampires, they have to make up an offense or find an offense with a vampire or a clan or a nomad so that they can go attack them. And then they can be like, "Mm, you know what? Actually, why don't we give you a chance? Join the Volturi. And then, you know, they have certain vampires who can sort of control emotional bonds, etc., who can make you like loyal to the guard so basically the Volturi have a catch and kill almost strategy to get talented vampires and they really wanted Alice they probably wouldn't say no to Edward and like I said in New Moon they were like we can't wait to see what powers Bella has and they definitely would like Bella's powers so the reason they're really coming to get Renesmee is obviously if there's an immortal child they have to get rid of it but they also really need to get some more talented vampires Yes, so the Cullens, basically Carla and Esme leave, Rosalie and Emmett leave, and they're going to send witnesses back to the house to introduce them to Renesme to kind of explain very carefully, you know, she's not a mortal child, she's a hybrid. And the first people to arrive are the Denali's. And I just love how in this scene, Renesme's telling them to, like, when she goes to touch them to use her power to, like, put visions in their head to show her, like, thoughts and memories. She's like, keep watching because they, like, I think Eleazar, like, pulls away because he's a little afraid of her. And she's like, please stop. Like, please keep watching. And, like, she's trying to tell them that she's not dangerous. And I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Like, this little, this little like, three, five-year-old, however old she's supposed to be at this point, is, like, telling these adult vampires, like, can you sit still so I can show you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dangerous. 
please listen. Yeah. All of her dialogue is really funny. Like... Also, because, like, you imagine, like, a tiny little, like, four or five-year-old communicating like an adult. Like, I don't know. To me, that's just really funny. Yes. But, yes, that's her power. So she's really easily able to kind of show her story because she shows, like, the memories of her literally coming out of Bella's stomach. So it's, like, really hard to, like, not believe her. And then we, as more vampires come, we start to learn more about Bella and her shield ability and that she's actually able to cast it outside of herself. And so it's very clear that she's, Bella's really talented. And then we also have Kate who has the, she can run electricity over her body and like shock people if they touch her. And then Zafrina who can make people see an image, whatever image she wants, kind of like what Renesmee does, but she doesn't have to be in contact. She can do multiple people at a time. And then something I noted, which I feel like I've kind of, something I just, I don't think I noticed this before because it's like one quick line, but Edward says how a moon created Benjamin, which Benjamin has this power to actually influence the elements kind of like in like the last airbender, like he can bend air, water, fire, earth, like he can do it all. And Amun says that he knew that Benjamin was special and that's why he decided to turn him into a vampire. And I'm just wondering like what signs he saw that were there that would make him think, I mean, not necessarily specifically that he'd be able to influence the elements, but that he'd have a really strong power. Like I'm just, cause they don't, Stephanie Meyer doesn't go into any more detail about that. It was just kind of one line. So I was just curious. Yeah. Well, you're right. Obviously, we don't get any answer on that. But I do think probably being old and probably watching, if you have sort of gained experience of like watching people become vampires and see which ones end up with powers, if there is like a pattern. I mean, we kind of know Aro. He's always knew Bella would be talented. No one else is expecting that. But he's like, I. But Bella is like, it makes sense though why she would be talented because from the beginning, she can't. She's immune to Edward's power. She's immune to the powers that are in the mind. So, like, that makes sense that it's like, oh, she's obviously going to be powerful because she's already experiencing some kind of power as a human. And that's why I just wonder if, like, did Benjamin have something like that? I would assume so because I would assume that he, you know, must have been watching Benjamin. I don't know. Maybe he, like, slept on rocks. I don't know. Maybe he was, like, super strong. (laughs) Maybe he didn't get wet when he walked through water. I don't know. But there was probably something that he was able to, like, observe and therefore, you know, was like, that's not a normal human. He will have great powers. I don't know. Also, it's just such a different power, I feel like, from a lot of the other vampires we've got. Like, he's so... Also, because in the book, like, they don't really go into that it that much. Like, that like that would be another, like, novella I'd like. Like, Benjamin. Like, how... What are these powers? Like, he's basically a superhero. Like, it's in no way a comparison. Yeah, he is, like, super telekinesis. Like, it's totally different from any of the other powers. Because most of them are, like, pretty simple. Because we know, like, one vampire and, like... And they're mental. Yeah, one vampire and, like, the Irish clan, like, she can tell if people are lying or not. Like, Eleazar, And the Volturi, like, they have, like, the... They have, like, some offensive powers and, like, defensive powers. But it's just, none are so, like... It, like we said, they're mainly in the mind. It's not about actually manipulating things in space. So I don't know. That's Yeah, there's not a lot of like, and you know, even like Kate's, which is clearly offensive. It's not like she can like send a lightning ball out of the sky. <laughs> like she has to touch you. Like, yeah, his is very physical, like telekinesis. It's physically outside of his body, yeah. 
whereas all the other ones are emotional or mental or sensory. So it's, yeah, it is a quite a drastic shift. I would have just loved, yeah, to get a little bit more explanation, especially like him as a human, like what signs would influence that he would be gifted that. Because remember at the beginning, Carlisle talked about how his idea for why people have extra gifts is that it's, remember we said it's like whatever you had as a human, it gets magnified. So like, was he just always really in touch with the elements? Okay, how does how is one in touch with the elements? I don't know. Like, <laughs> like maybe he was like a outside. monk or something, I like, the like wind. super <laughs> super spiritual, like meditation. Like he was one of those people who could like levitate already, so he was already there. I don't know. Okay, humans can't levitate, Asia. Isn't that a thing? Is an airbender, yeah, an airbender in Avatar: the Last. So maybe airbender. he was already at that level. He was just about to get to his powers. He just needed to be turned into a vampire. Maybe. Well, anyway, the Volturi show up. It was really stressful, and I was really ready for them just to come because I was tired of this tension. But we have this back-and-forth negotiation, and Caius is like, I really want to kill the Cullens. And Marcus is like, I really don't care. And Aro is like, hmm, let me collect some little talented vampires. And then back with the voices. Okay, Charles. And then Caius <laughs> does not get his way, and he obliterates Arena. Like, he just destroys her instantly. And it was a little sad. I mean, she kind of deserved it because she was not very nice. I mean, we never got to really meet her. And she did show some remorse. But, like, she betrayed the Cullens twice. And they're yeah. supposed to be friends. And, like, Tanya and Kate are, like, to we can... family. Yeah, family. I was going to say, Tanya and Kate are, like, we consider ourselves part of Carlisle's family. And I was like, mm, Irina's not a good family member. <laughs> and, but we also learned that the packs aren't actual werewolves. Which I've been wondering about because werewolves have to be werewolves like werewolf means transform with the night. And Edward's like, yeah, these are not actually werewolves like where true werewolves or as the vampires call them children of the moon, which are the actual enemy of the vampires are just like they have no control. They transform with the full moon and the clan, the packs are actually just shapeshifters. And it just so happens that they chose the wolf which happens to be the ancestral shape of the enemies of the vampires. I mean, don't you remember, I think, in New Moon when Bella goes to, with Jacob to hear all the legends and they kind of talk about how, like, the spirit warriors, how they would go into the spirit. Like, it just, it they've always been, like, shapeshifters. And, like, yeah. Yes. When the spirit warrior went into the wolf, then they started taking on the forms of a wolf. It was just kind of coincidental, basically. But, yeah, they're not actual werewolves. Yeah, I just thought it was funny that Bella was like, well, they're not werewolves. And Jacob was like, we're not werewolves. And I was like, I mean, we've all been calling you that. I don't but think like, Jacob was surprised because they know, but I think he Bella makes a little growl was. noise. He's like, mm mm-hmm. hmm. No, I don't know he what makes, he sounds like. <laughs> he makes a growl noise because Aro is like, has, or they have a thought of like having them as pets, guard like dogs. as guard dogs. That's when they growl about that. And he's like, they're choosing to be here. We have no control over them. Mm, I thought it was also when he, when he's like, they're not true werewolves, but maybe I misread it. But anyway, the three elder ancients, as they're called, they're deciding whether or not, you know, they've obviously gotten proof that Renesmee is not an unborn, I mean, a immortal child. So they're trying to deliberate what they're going to do. And then 
so Bella's casting her shield and just the idea of protecting people. She's able to like really control it in a new way that's not exhausting her. So that was amazing. And then you have all the vampires under the shield and they're saying goodbye to each other. And Renesmee has a little backpack and Edward and Bella are holding hands and all the partners are like saying they love each other. And I was like, this is awful. I can't have this happen. It, it, it broke my heart a little bit. Yeah, also because we have the reveal that, to Edward at least, that, you know, Bella had been hiding the thing. This, like, little side plot about her having to go get the fake documents. Which was for, a like, terrible side stuff. plot, but whatever. Honestly, like, that, I remember reading, like, as a kid and being, like, I don't understand really what's going on. Because it's it felt so much more dramatic than what it actually was. Exactly. That's how I felt, too, when I was, like, Alice leaves a coded message. And then it's, like... Fake documents. Which it makes sense in the sense of okay, she only she can only have Bella know because Bella's mind is the only one that's protected, and they don't want Ara to know what they did, so that it's harder for harder for them if they are all killed to find Renesmee and Jacob. So that makes sense. But then, because I like, she has to go to like the shady like ghetto kind yeah. of office before she sent, and it's like that was Alice's way of showing you know that she's going for some shady stuff to get like, fake legal documents, which I was like, she couldn't have put that in the note. Like She could have just said, get paperwork for Renesmee and Jacob. It wouldn't have been hard. Yeah, it kind of was just, like, this, uh, like, kind of wild goose chase kind of felt like yeah, that. I mean, like she's she only like, had to go a couple she, times, but it was yeah. just weird. And then also I remember because how she meets with Jay Jinx or whatever, and he's, like, super nervous and everything around them, and that was weird. And then it... it reading it because I was like this doesn't make sense and then he says that he's worried that she's kidnapping or not kidnapping taking the child from the from Edward like from her husband basically so that's why he seems to be extra stressed because he like doesn't want to be like I guess even though he makes fake legal yeah, accessory to a about more that. dramatic crime than the one he's already committing so yeah I've I've never understood that it just wasn't section. that necessary of a plot point because it, it, yeah, it feels way too significant the way, like, I agree, like, Alice had to do this to, sort of to keep it out of Edward's thoughts, sure, but also, like, it just didn't need to be as dramatic. It could have been, like, yeah. it didn't have get to them be as some long paper, too, like, fake paperwork. Yeah, and it was a lot of chapters, or, like, a lot of time spent on it, and Bella worrying about it, and, like, she's got to get a diversion to get Renesmee out of the house, and then she's got to take him to Charlie, and then, but you can't tell... Jacob, because Jacob can be have his thoughts read. Like it was, yeah, it was a little much. I mean, I've never really understood that part. That's probably the worst section, <laughs> or like the worst parts about this section, because it's kind of like it just seems like, like you said, it was a little too much. Like it, they could have still done it, but it didn't have to be so dramatic and so such uh, described so extensively. Especially because there's no payoff. It's not like they needed the documents in the end anyway. Maybe if if the documents, like, had figured it, like, if it had been that, that they had to, like, all go into hiding for a couple months, then, like, the documents became necessary to, like, track them down. Like, if they'd scattered in front of the Volturi and, like, there was... Yeah. But because it wasn't necessary, it was just like, wow, we're just following Bella around Seattle? Like, I feel like Alice could have given her, like, a couple more hints, but... Yeah. Anyway... Also, I just wanted to say this scene, because right before, you know, Alice comes in, this scene is very different in the movie. They added some things, but this is one of those, I feel like one of those rare instances. I think the movie changed it in a way to make it better for the movie, if that Mm. makes sense. So I cannot wait for you to see. This is like my favorite part. Like, this is something to me, like, 
it's really well done. It's really well done. I do well, really enjoy the movie. I can't wait to see. I'm. I, guess I really like this scene. I think it's done really well. They don't in the book, change. So we'll see I guess I want to. They don't change things because it still it still plays out. They added a little bit more, which I think was really good for a movie. Because I mean, as you see, like it's pretty. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking. Scene, it's so pretty it anticlimactic. Kind of it's on, which is fine for a book because describing fighting in a book is different. But in the movie, it's really well done. So I'm super excited to watch. But. Soon, soon, soon. Continuing with the book. So right as kind of Aro's about to make his decision, Edward hears Alice's thoughts, basically, I guess. And he clarifies to Aro, you know, if there's a way of knowing for sure that Renesme will not be a danger, you have no reason to hurt us. And Aro's like, yeah, of course. And then in comes Alice with Kachiri, which is one of the other amazonian vampires and they have found another they found a hybrid man a half vampire half human as proof that renezme is not a threat and nahul that's the hybrid man's name he tells them how basically his vampire father is named joham and he believes that he's kind of like a scientist making a new superhuman race and he's had and nahul has a whole bunch of sisters because this vampire has basically, I guess, seduced a whole bunch of human women and impregnated them. And so he's making, like, this new superhuman race. And we also find out that only Nahul is venomous. All of his, none of his sisters are venomous because he's able to turn his aunt into a vampire, like, when he's first a baby. And we know that Renesmee is not venomous. So that kind of points to maybe, like, only the male hybrids are venomous. He says, like, it could be that or it could just be coincidental. But if he has a whole bunch of sisters and Renesmee not venomous, that kind of points to maybe something in their DNA, like maybe the male chromosomes or whatever, make it so they're venomous. Yeah. And we basically conveniently find out that the hybrids sort of stop aging around like adolescence slash like once basically once they become what would be like once they physically become what would be a fully grown adult so kind of around the same age that most of the characters in our story most of our vampires said were transformed that's kind of the age that the hybrids stop aging and then that kind of means that renesme is going to grow up and end up being jacob's age forever and Jacob will continue to live forever as long as he keeps becoming a wolf. And that means that he's going to live forever, too, because obviously because he's imprinted on Renesmee, he's going to, you know, out of devotion to her, he's going to stay with her forever, which means he just keeps being a wolf. And that means they're kind of like the youngest in the Cullen family. Like, this is now the, they're now a couple in the Cullen family, or they will be eventually, because they're obviously not going to get rid of Renesmee, and they can't get rid of Jacob, unfortunately. So, you know, I guess Jacob... Black, Renesme, Cullen, Black. I don't know. Anyway, they're all going to live together happily ever after. Yay, yay, yay. But in our last scene, we have Bella. She's now gained so much control over her shield that she can actually fully remove it from herself. So we knew that she could expand it to include other people. But because she was still protected by it, Edward couldn't like read her thoughts at that point. But she's able to control it such that she's able to physically remove it from herself. And Edward can finally read her thoughts. And he's so overwhelmed. It's so cute. It was really, I was really happy for them. And that's kind of where it ends, right? Anything else I'm forgetting? No, I think that's, 
that's pretty much it. Like, and then, like, yeah, they say, like, they they live happily ever after, basically. So I just want to know, like, what are your overall, what were your overall thoughts on the, you know, Twilight series? Mm-hmm. Breaking Dawn was my favorite book, far and away. Breaking Dawn was absolutely my favorite. I enjoyed all three parts. Because we do get the growth of Jacob. He's still a terrible person, but we get Jacob having some character growth. Because, like, New Moon and Eclipse are out for me. There's no way I could consider them as good, like, as books that I would personally like. Because Jacob's behavior is not only reprehensible, but it's also irrational. So, like, I can't, like, I can't like those. Because one of the main characters is, like, antithetical to being a good person. So... Those are out, but I really like Bella's transformation and how everyone that comes in, they're like, you were really born to be a vampire. And she's like, yeah, I really was. And she's so happy. She gets to have her happily ever after. She and Edward, like Edward starts to understand her better than ever. And I just love the romance for them. And I also, I do really love like Jacob growing up in part two. And I like that he's less annoying in part three. So Breaking Dawn was absolutely my favorite book. And... I still think the writing was, like, not the greatest, but it was truly a page-turner series, especially Eclipse and Breaking Dawn. I really didn't want to put them down. They, the plot just gets you sucked in, and, like, I can see myself reading them again, because... (gasps) You'd read them again? Yeah, I think so. Mostly just because I want to read Breaking Dawn again, because it's... Yeah, I I think I'm definitely, after reading it this time, I do think... Breaking Dawn is probably my favorite book now. I think I've always just liked, I like, I just, I prefer the second half of Break, or the, like, the last part, because I don't love reading from Jacob's perspective, and then the first part to me is just, it's so short, it's so quick, it doesn't really mean anything to me, but, like, obviously it's good for them, they got married, they get to go on their honeymoon, but, yeah, I do think now, I, I can say, I think Breaking Dawn's the best book. It's definitely the best plot. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I like the other vampires we meet and, you know, we we get like the shades of complexity because those other vampires are still vampires. They still kill people on the reg. So, you know, that's not great, but they are, they, you know, also do vouch for the Cullens, which I appreciate. I, you know, I like that we get them being, you know, better than they could be. And just, you know, now that we get, you know, we have our character, all our characters are now vampires, immortals, so they have forever. And Edward's like, well, that's the reason that we're all so smart and so talented and so perfect. Like, we don't have to sleep, and then we have forever. So we can get really good at things. And, you know, he's like, that's why I'm so good at the piano. So, Asia, is there anything that you would spend your, like, vampire hours on now that, if like, if you had to never sleep and then you could live forever, like, what would you do with all that extra time? Even if you were pretending to be a human during, like, eight hours of the day. Mm, I think, well, my first thing would be I would love to travel because I really like to travel. I probably would want to try to see every country, every city. I mean, it's just endless possibilities. Just try to go literally everywhere. Probably just try to learn lots of different things, take up new hobbies. I think I'd want to learn how to play an instrument. That's something I feel like would be really good. Just, I mean, how Edward talks about he's got, like, multiple, like, doctorate, like, or PhDs or something. Like, I, I don't know. There's just, like, endless possibilities. You could literally do anything. Yeah. I I would, I like the idea of travel. I would definitely learn more languages. I think that would be, 
like just cool to know more languages. And I do think the idea of like playing an instrument would also be kind of fun. I would definitely like, I also thought like I would open a knitting business on Etsy and it's perfect because if it's an Etsy business and you're not in person with people, you don't have to prove that you're aging. So you can just keep running it forever. I think I'd want to do like, I'd want to have like multiple careers if that makes sense. So like for one 20 year period, you become a doctor and then the next 20 year period you become a detective. Like, I don't know. I think that would be really interesting because obviously as humans, like we only have one lifetime. So usually you only have like one, maybe two, like really good careers. I feel like that would be really cool. Obviously I wouldn't want to (laughs) work. I mean, I'd be a dancer because I want to be a dancer, like because I'm a dancer, but but I don't know. Obviously not every single job, but jobs like like you're interested in like things that it's like you never have the opportunity to do because you only really have time to do one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe who knows? Well, obviously it's not going to happen to me because unfortunately it's not. And it's like, if you decide you don't want to do it, you just quit and move on. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, I guess, you know, maybe the Cullens will bite us and we'll be good to go, but probably not. So I think that wraps up breaking Dawn, I guess. Yeah, that yes, that does. That wraps it up, and it does still leave, leave us in a really exciting place for next week because we're going to cover Midnight Sun, which I'm really interested for you to read because obviously Midnight Sun just came out this past year at the like at the end of the summer, I think, in 2020. So I've only read this book one time, so it won't be the same as oh, I know exactly. I mean, we still know the plot because we just read Twilight. It's very similar, but I'm curious to see if you'll like this a little better because obviously it's not told from Bella's point of view so you don't get all of her random like stupid things you're just gonna be in Edward's head which Edward has some I think of his own issues but it's not in this it's not the same it's not gonna be Bella being like I cannot walk down the street because I'm so clumsy (laughs) and I'm still not mad at Stephanie Meyer for not explaining that like Bella's missing she's missing an inch in one leg I'm sure of it but you see that at least once she becomes a vampire she's perfectly balanced She's well, yes, now. because when she becomes a vampire, she grows one extra inch in her left leg, and now she can walk normally. But yes, I think that I'll probably enjoy it because also Edward's my favorite character in the series. So, Edward's like your favorite character? I don't know if I have a favorite. Character. I mean, maybe Esme. It's hard to pick like one of the other Cullens because we just we don't really get that much of them. If you know what I mean, we just hear about them because everything's from Bella's perspective. Yeah, like, I like Emmett, the little bit we get. He's funny. And, like, I like the little bit of Rose that we get. Like, I I kind of, like, the Cullens are, you know, I mean, we get a lot more of Carlisle and a lot of Alice. I, I like Alice, but it's all, it's just hard because, like, we don't, which something, I already started reading Midnight Sun, and something that I think you're going to like is since Edward's obviously the mind reader, you're going to get more insights into the other Cullen's minds because he's going to, he talks about that mm. with like reading their mind and stuff. So like, we're going to get more insight, especially we're going to get more insight into the Cullen's like just from them as a family, like before Bella comes a little bit at, you sure. know, at the beginning. So I think you'll really like it. Well, I think I will too. And I can't wait to read it. But we're going to read the whole thing in a week. So if you do read with us, read all of Midnight Sun for next week. And I'm excited to hear about Edward. I'm really excited to hear about Edward falling in love with Bella from his perspective. Because obviously Bella is like, that man is so pretty. Oh, he's so mean to me. Oh, now he likes me. 
And that's the whole plot of Twilight. And so I'm really excited to hear about Edward be like, oh my God, she smells so good, but I can't kill her, but she smells so good. Maybe I'll just suffer through the pain. Like, I'm excited for that. Yeah. So like I said, we're doing Midnight Sun next week. And then after that, we're going to be starting our next series, The Golden Compass. But if you have predictions, theories, or questions, or want to keep talking to us about Twilight, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheeland on both Twitter and Instagram. And remember that, you know, if you enjoyed this, rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends. And of course, check out all the other amazing podcasts we have on the Nerd Party Network. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep. Hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.